Hello and welcome to Celebrating Cinema, a podcast for the love of cinema. This is a Lab 111 production and you can follow us at Lab 111 on Instagram to stay updated on all new episodes. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review to help more people find us. I'm your host, Sophie, joined by my co-hosts Hugo. Hey, what's up? Tom. Yo. And our guest of today, longtime entertainment editor, Laura. Hello. It's been a heated winter break with the entire internet breaking over Saltburn and consequently thanking its director, Emerald Fennel, for bringing back sex to cinema. This is what we're here to discuss today. Is cinema still sexy? But before we jump into that, as always, I want to ask all of us what we have been watching lately. Who wants to start? Um, I was here yesterday at Lab 111 and I saw Stop Making Sense, which I had seen before, but I always want to see again. And I thought it was such a beautiful experience because it's in the smaller room and it's almost like a social experiment of like, I think everybody wants to get up and dance, but who's going to be the first? And I was in the front row and at some point like, there's so many good songs kind of in the beginning, but everyone's still shy. Mm-hmm. And at some point it's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get up. And then you saw people relieved because they could also get up. I thought it was uh, a beautiful cinema You experience. were the first one yes. to get up? Yes. Good job. Good, good job. I've, I have a pitch for Lab 111. You can do Stop Making Sense, but then Climax, Caspar Noé style, you spike the sangria that you <laughs> serve for free with LSD and then see what happens. You know, who knows? It's a... Uh, it's like online people were constantly asking questions like, yeah, you did two screenings in the main room and uh, you said that dancing was allowed for those, but is dancing and singing along still allowed when you're screening <laughs> uh-huh. it now? Like, no, 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 no. Absolutely no not. <laughs> so it turn, turns out I'm banned for life now. <laughs> <laughs> My reply constantly was like, yeah, uh, but we're not going to hold your hand. So you just decide. So I'm happy that the social experiment actually worked out that Somebody just needs to instigate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And it just, you know, it's the same thing happened with Dirty Dancing that people were doing the lift in front of the screen. <laughs> really? While that wasn't, like, communicated Amazing. in any way that <laughs> that was allowed to do. Okay. Multiple people at the same time? No, it was, like, multiple people, like, filming inside the screening room, which we oh, do not allow. Yeah. But still, it's kind of funny that people actually do that. It's just people singing along to that track at the end of Dirty Dancing and then people doing the lift in front of the screen. Do you have insurance wow. for that? That sounds dangerous. <laughs> let's, let's talk about sex. <laughs> uh, what did you watch, Tom? That's good. Um, this weekend I saw uh, Sally Potter's Orlando for the first time, nice. which I hadn't seen before. I don't know this film. Tell me what it's about. Uh, it's the most Tilda Swinton, Tilda Swinton film ever to be Tilda Swinton. Oh. Uh, it's about a man called Orlando, played by Tilda Swinton, All right. who is also a woman or becomes a woman. Okay. And uh, lives through time like she's fucking Highlander. So it's it starts in the 1600s and it ends, spoiler, today. Okay. Uh, it's this bizarre... A British period piece that's super ethereal, and yeah, it's it's. After seeing the film, I thought like, wait, this movie can never be made again because this can only be made with Tilda Swinton mm. because she represents also this this sort of out of time, out of space, out of mm-hmm. beyond gender. Person. But does it have Sean Connery who says, there can only be one? <laughs> it does not have Sean Connery playing a Spanish nobleman with a Scottish accent. No, no, that's Shame. the only thing Shame. the movie doesn't have going for it. There can be only one. So there can only still be one Highlander. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just back from Los Angeles where I was for a month and I went to the cinema three times and I'll be very brief, but I'll name all three of them. The first one I saw was The Boy and the Harem, which Mm. is on theme with our previous uh, Studio Ghibli episode and is terrific, uh, like such an incredible masterpiece. Strange, doesn't make sense, dreamlike, but still it makes sense on a personal level. Um, I've also seen the adaptation of the Broadway adaptation of Mean Girls. That is a oh, musical. How is that? Oh my god! It's um, I liked it quite a lot, but it's definitely not anywhere as good as the original Mean Girls, which I find a um, stone cold masterpiece, a true classic. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. I did, I did enjoy it, but it it lacks a little oomph 
or something, but uh, still a highly recommended experience. It's actually a good musical. And I watched American Fiction, um, which oh, is... with Jeffrey Wright, right? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> sorry, 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 didn't do that on purpose. It's like the most NPR radio hour film <laughs> I've seen in a long time. It's kind of like one of those films that should be an article. So it was kind of... <laughs> one of those films that should be... They can put that on the poster. This could have been <laughs> an article. That could have been an article. <laughs> I, uh, it's like... Or another way to phrase it is like, Mom, can we watch a Spike Lee film? No, we have Spike Lee films at home. <laughs> and then the Spike Lee at home film would be American fiction. <laughs> Such a way with words you have. Thank you. <laughs> so generous to all of these films. Um, I finally saw a film that I've been wanting to watch for a long time. I could finally watch it because I stole a friend of mine's movie uh, password. Uh, it was Shiva Baby. Oh, I ah. love that one. It was. It truly felt like I was having an anxiety attack, which is what was supposed to happen. <laughs> so that's a really good job that she did. And yeah, I really loved it. I, I mean, like that I, film a lot as well. Yeah, it was great. I don't want to watch it any again anytime soon, but it was it was really nice. Have you already seen Bottoms, the one that she? Yes, made? yes, yes. I have. It was. Wild. Have you seen it? Yeah. Wild is the right. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of wild. Yeah. That is a Let's get into episode. it. Let's get into it. Oh, how I loved being a horny teenager. And while my teenage years were spent mostly having sexual fantasies about the generally sexless Lord of the Rings franchise, I did grow up in a time where everything around me was hella horny. The 90s. Wild things, cruel intentions, eyes wide shut, indecent proposal, risky business, basic instinct. The 90s were not shy about showing horniness and a gratuitous titty here and there. The decade brought us so many iconic sex scenes, and if you're anything like me, you'll remember spending Friday evenings on the couch with your parents and sitting in silence, not making eye contact while Richard Gere is steadily thrusting on top of Julia Roberts. They're the hottest people you've ever seen. He gently caresses her breast. You look at the corner of the screen and quietly hope for it to be over soon. It's a rite of passage. But I also remember those scenes being a very safe first encounter with eroticism. Very different from secretly watching Sex Cetera late at night after bedtime at zero volume so my parents wouldn't hear. I started thinking about this subject when Netflix recently suggested Indecent Proposal. Not even two minutes in, we get Woody Harrelson passionately going down on Demi Moore. And I realize this is something we don't really see anymore, especially in big releases starring A-listers. So where did all the sex scenes go? I tend to blame every single problem of the world on capitalism, and in this case, I think I might be onto something. Go to your local chain movie theater, and you'll notice that most things are based on a certain IP. Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Avatar even. The mid-budget movies that attract a more niche audience have made way for the event movie. A movie that's so expensive that it has to appeal to every single person all around the world because the studios have to get as many asses in seats as possible to make their monster profits. And when you try to please everyone, well, not only the movies have been devoid of sex, but it's a trend that we see correlate with other forms of media that Gen Z consumes. Platforms like Instagram and TikTok are completely sex-free to an extent where you can't even say the word. I recently saw a TikTok by a woman who appeared to be in her 20s who said she was deeply upset when she went to see Oppenheimer because she wasn't expecting it to feature sex and nudity. She felt traumatized because she didn't consent to it, nor her boyfriend seeing Florence Pugh's naked breasts. And knowing all this, it makes sense that social media platforms are full of people, mostly Gen Z, who are absolutely shocked by Emerald Fennell's fairly mediocre erotic murder drama, Saltburn. It featured straight up sex, horny, bloody, dominant, cum slurping, sexy sex. And although I wasn't a fan of the film, I do appreciate it being one of the first in a long time to really bring back sex in a way that's fun and not necessarily a cautionary tale or a weird representation of sex by someone who seemingly never has had sex before in the case of Oppenheimer. And all that is not to say that sex scenes have disappeared from movies altogether. It's just that most sex scenes I've seen in recent years have been jarring. Mostly thanks to the good people at A24. I would argue Bo is Afraid has one of the most memorable sex scenes of all time. 
but if anything, it makes you never, ever want to have sex again. The midsummer one is, you know, interesting if you happen to have a breeding kink. Christopher Borgley's upcoming Nicolas Cage film called Dream Scenario has an absolutely toe-curlingly awkward sex scene in it. The one that did get me going was Robert Pattinson furiously masturbating to a mermaid figurine in the lighthouse, so case in point, A24 is turning us all into little freaks. The reason I'm passionate about this subject, I think, is because I might be a little worried that the only representation of sex the younger generations encounter will be the hairless, sweatless, emotionless, stepmommy, anal, buffalo-bodied content that kids have access to on Pornhub. Like with comedy, I'm afraid sex has become so abundantly accessible through the internet that studios have decided we've progressed past the need for it in cinemas. Maybe I'm just sentimental on becoming one of those midlife people who never wants the world to change, who thinks my nostalgia is the only valid nostalgia. The world is changing and cinema might assume different roles in people's lives. But when I look at the responses surrounding Jacob Elordi and Barry Keegan and Saltburn, I do take comfort that teenagers will always, always be horny. Nice. <laughs> That's a, a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. Strip down. To undress, yeah. To undress. There's a lot there. Because the first thing that I thought of when we said that we were going to do an episode about this question, the first question that popped into my head that you also posed is, are sex scenes even important? Mm -hmm. Do we care? Does cinema need to be sexy? Yeah. And I think that's a great point to start because that was the first thing that popped into my head. Mm. And it also took me a while to decide what I thought about that. Mm. Yeah, same for me. When I started thinking about it, it was like, Maybe it's just my sentimental mind that's like, I just want to see Michael Douglas or Julia Roberts <laughs> get down and dirty. Occasionally you see people post stuff or write articles about the necessity of the sex scene. Does it advance the plot is the question everybody always asks because there's not really supposedly a story delivered when people are fucking, which is absolutely untrue. Sex scenes are an integral part of the fabric and the texture, I think, of a story. So the idea that it is unfunctional. And so the question about the functionality of a sex scene for me is uh, kind of insipid almost because it is it is an integral aspect of human life and behavior. And desire is an integral aspect of what makes us human or how we act on it, I guess. And seeing that in film, probably one of the safest way to see other people doing that um, the most interesting way because it's always channeled through an experience of an other that you can safely take in because let's be frank you're just sitting in a chair watching something there's not something being done to you you're not being entrusted by uh, Florence Pugh's naked breast or by a bear and Michael Douglas you're watching a movie so I think it's kind of they are necessary and I actually miss them so I'm happy with your cold open because I think it's very spot on that's Something changed, and I don't think it's my nostalgia that I miss it in the cinema, but I'm not sure if you guys agree with that. Well, I think there's also a whole new generation now, and as I said, they consume media very differently. And I saw this study that says, a study claims 48% of Gen Z feel that sex and sexual content is not needed for the plot of most, most TV and movies. So maybe that generation feels different about it, but I'm very interested in unpacking where that comes from or... Doesn't that also have to do with the, the way in which it's portrayed and maybe how cinema has portrayed it in the 90s when we came up? Like you mentioned, Wild Things. Welcome to the town of Blue Bay. Hi, Mr. Lombardo. Hey, girls. So where's your house, Mr. Lombardo? Where innocence can seduce. He started rubbing my shoulders. Accusations can destroy and appearances can deceive. Kelly said that we should do this to hurt Mr. Lombardo. She found out that Mr. Lombardo was in love with her mom and that was it. Yeah, that sex scene, but it's, it's Matt Dillon and Denise Richards yeah. and Nev Campbell, right? But was that, was that really sexy? Kind of. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. You, well, it was when I was that age. Yeah, you know, true, exactly. But it's a, it's a very performative 
way of of doing a sex it's scene. It's kind of scandalous, you know. And it's a bit. It's scandalous. And it's objectifying yeah. in a way. And then if I. I mean, I, I was brought up with the same films. I remember that horrific sex scene in Basic Instinct. You mentioned Basic Instinct. So we got 31 stab wounds. What was it? Ice pick. I'd like to speak to a Miss Catherine Tremell, please. Is she a suspect? She's a writer. She published a novel. It's about a retired rock and roll star who gets murdered by his girlfriend. You know how she does the boyfriend? than I speak. She intended the book to be her alibi. You didn't feel anything for him. You just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning, he gave me a lot of pleasure. You like playing games? Games are fun. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. Paul Douglas practically rapes Gene Triplehorn, who's, who he's dating. Because that's the sex scene that everybody always forgets from Basic mm-hmm. Instincts, the one that he just sort of rips off her thong and then fucks her against a chair. Yeah, don't do that, kids. Yeah. Sex has been portrayed in art like, oh, it's the magic of cinema. We can we can do it. It's not reality. It's a it's a heightened form of sex. But then when I saw like Lucia Eel Sexo, for instance, years later, like early two thousands, that was a like a real penis with sperm coming out of it. I wonder if, like, the Gen Z generation has seen that, and because that's maybe closer to reality. I mean, maybe there's there's a distortion of reality here via the medium that has brought them to a situation where they feel that they don't need sex in cinema, but maybe they just don't need certain forms or certain depictions of sex in cinema. I want to say something about this. I feel like I'm the one of us that's closest to Gen Z. And it also feels like we're kind of blaming Gen Z for not wanting this and being shocked. While I think it's no, also... No, no, no. I'm, com- I'm completely blaming the way that we... Yeah, the like studio how system exactly, works. Exactly, yeah, yeah. 100%. Because I feel like I've had this, I've had this reaction before. Well, for example, in Oppenheimer, I was kind of shocked to all of a sudden see Florence Pugh because for me it felt totally unmotivated to suddenly see this. But then I watched Indecent Proposal for this episode, and there it didn't feel mm-hmm. weird that it was there. It, didn't, it felt completely natural, even though there wasn't necessarily a and it tells you something motivation. about the characters. It tells you something about the characters. But nowadays, I feel like in a lot of films sex is there to just shock yeah when you talk about what like 50 shades is one example but there was also that horrible netflix movie like 365 days oh, or something yeah, no. which was just a glorified like wasn't that the weird abuse. polish one or something there yeah, was like, like Bulgar- this ultra and, yeah, like yeah. intense polish sm kind of movie yeah I, yeah, yeah. But I mean, look, those films have been there for years and oh, years. Yeah, yeah like and they, the they get to exist. Yeah. That's fine. I don't need to be watching that. But but like, for example, in Oppenheimer, it didn't feel sexy at all. It felt like... No, it's no, but it's Christopher to... Nolan. Yeah, it, well, yeah, it's the least, the least sexy it's filmmaker ever. It's pretty interesting ever, because like, Christopher yeah. Nolan is like, we've discussed him often, but he's like interested in watches and in like nice boats, you know? So he's like, <laughs> that's my idea of Christopher Nolan, like nice like polo sports jacket and a catamaran that's kind of his aesthetic totally. so to watch the but i actually really i really like that moment in oppenheimer be, for multiple reasons because it kind of shows okay this oppenheimer you know he's like totally fixated on a thing but life also happens you know and it's mm-hmm. messy and it's a lot and it's not like there's an attraction and a desire but it's also kind of like not the main point of the story but it's part of his life and then the best thing that we don't mention uh, if we're complaining about Florence Pugh's breast, which is a silly never complaint. I would complain ever. about Florence Pugh's breast. The chi- Chinese the did complain about <laughs> Florence Pugh. Yeah, that exactly. scene is not in China in the film. It's the counter shot where he's, of course, after they have like sex, you know, where he's sitting in the chair naked, which is such and an... And he unf- looks so vulnerable. Yeah, it's an unforgettable shot. And I think it like exactly that shot, I understand Oppenheimer more than I do when he's like deep in his brainy stuff, which is a bit more inaccessible for me because I'm just not that smart, you know? Um, so I, I, I thought it was admirable of, Oppen- of, of Oppenheimer, of Nolan, 
Um, <laughs> admirable of Oppenheimer oh, to have sex in his what life. What a guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a guy. Can, can you imagine? He's sometimes, Oppenheimer sometimes have a hard on. It's, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Get a load of this guy, you know, <laughs> Jesus Christ. So I, I was kind of pleasantly shocked, I would say, then that that was in the movie. It made me like yeah, the film but, but more. But the, the issue with, with for me, it, so what what you say is makes complete sense. There is a sort of character uh, development thing happening there or a character interpretation thing. But then again, it's also him reading Farsi. It's I don't know. It just just doesn't really fully gel. There's well, not but it doesn't because he like his relationship, you know, is kind of like he's uh, he intellectualizes a lot of things, and that clashes with some of the real world carnal implications that are part of sex and desire. And I think Oppenheimer is a film about uh, dialectics. You know, it's about fission and fusion it's about a and it's about b it's about being in color and black and white etc etc like it plays with off of all of these sure, things but christopher nolan it just isn't capable enough of a director <laughs> to uh to have that scene just be it's just one scene and then he needs to move on to 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 adam splicing again well but then that's, an interesting that's the issue but then an interesting question maybe to all of you would be then what is a film that has a sex scene where you believe it genuinely works in all of the ways that we just now discussed where it is part of the film and of the fabric of the story it advances a certain thing but it also has a certain quality in itself the sex scene that you enjoy watching what is a film that has that i mean for me the first thing that i thought of when thinking about this episode is actually not a film but multiple tv series mm -hmm. you touched about this as well i for me it was normal people it was the first mm -hmm. thing that i thought of everyone's a mystery in a way and you can never really know another person Do you actually think that, though? Your friends know about us. That we were together. No. No one would have to know. Which is a series about these two kids sort of in high school being in love with each other and then their sort of progression through life, how they fall in and out of love and how sort of their sexual relations also progressed through that time. And for me, it felt very, it was incredibly awkward, but in a way that is very real. Like mm -hmm. these scenes that are in Indecent Proposal and Basic Instinct, they're all very sexy, but it will never happen like that mm -hmm. the first time. And a lot of times it won't happen like that. For So normal people for me was one of the first times I saw something happening on a screen where I was like, oh, wow, this is, I'm so happy I'm seeing this. I think that's, for me, the importance of sex scenes is showing everything around it. So the intimacy and the, because mm -hmm. I feel now what I mentioned in my cold open is that, okay, people watch porn and people watch Netflix. Mm -hmm. And the in-between of like, everything that surrounds sex and how you build up to it. And, and there's so much eroticism in the parts before yeah penis and vagina absolutely you know? so there's so much building up to it <laughs> and you know well important you get like who ordered pizza and here it's just like you're so involved in these characters and then yeah. the intimacy can feel so actually intimate absolutely that i do think that's the function that sex scenes to me should have yeah and i think that one does it really well yeah it felt so much sexier even to me it's like oh that's how that. i have sex when it's sometimes kind of oopsie and kind yeah. of clumsy and yeah i i really like a film um you really like a film? <laughs> Just one. <laughs> okay. No, but there, there's one that I think has this and is, you know, a canon of film uh, histories, Don't Look Now by Nicholas Rogue. Hey, hey. Laura! What on earth was that, John? It was Christine. Christine is dead, Laura. You're sad. You're so sad and there's no need to be. I've seen her. Which opens with the couple, or not, it's not the opening, but it's yeah, shortly it's in the first, yeah, it's 30, in minutes, the first yeah. 30 minutes. It's at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. The you see this couple who have like, they've experienced grief and lost the death of one of their children at the opening of the film. 
and later in the film you see them having sex and it's this kind of like disjointed editing of the intimacy that they have but also the moments afterwards where it's kind of like back to dressing up and going back slipping out of that kind of like eroticized moment into the more banal everyday life and also the sadness that's part of that life and it interlinks these things so poignantly and it's it's a sad moment but it's also very affecting and it's beautifully touched you really beautifully filmed because you really feel the touch that's what i wanted to say um but it's true those kind of scenes in in mainstream movies are relatively rare of course it's hilarious that when don't look now came out everybody was shocked to do that sex scene because you could literally see julie christie and donald sutherland have real sex on screen they're not having no. real sex on but screen. But it just but feels so it, real. It, feels, it felt so real for audiences that they thought that they were less... Well, the penis in vagina was <laughs> happening, children. But you, yeah, you see what happens after the penis in the <laughs> vagina, yeah. which is actually yeah, sometimes a more interesting moment than what happens before. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're yeah. naked in a kitchen, making yeah. making food, having yeah. the wine, and then <laughs> having sex again. And then yeah. Sorry for the sound effect. <laughs> 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 we're going to keep that one in. <laughs> I think for me as well, and if we're talking high-grossing movies, this is one of the highest-grossing movies of all time, but the Titanic scenes, to mm. me, are so fucking sexy. <laughs> Where to, miss? To the stars. I recently rewatched it when it came out in the 3D version, and, of course, when I was, <laughs> <laughs> when I was like, eight... How fancy of how, you. So fancy of me, yeah. so bougie. Um, when I was eight... Obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio is like the hottest person an eight-year-old could ever see. And I thought I always thought it was sexy because of that. But I recently watched it. And it's like the eroticism in those scenes feels, even though it's James Cameron, so female gaze. She's laying there. He's drawing her. He's paying attention. He's drawing the lines of her breasts. It's so hot. And like you don't even see them actually like, you know, having sex. (laughs) But it's sound effects are amazing. On yeah. We're yeah. doing free sound effects today, guys. <laughs> You're welcome. But yeah, of course, everybody knows the hand on the window, but it's a representation of sex yeah. that is so sexy without mm-hmm. actually showing the sex. And mm-hmm. I think that's marvelous. I want to do one comment on the avatar thing, uh, which is like a oh good. Oh my God. God. I, everybody <laughs> knew this was going to happen. It's a, because Jesus. in the original theatrical cut of Avatar, there's this moment where mm. Jake Sully and Nadiri, they have. <laughs> Yeah, they have sex. They link and it's up like their they tails. link up their yeah. tails, yeah. which is weird because it's that's like also docking. what they do with the animals that they ride Whoa. and stuff. Yeah. But they cut that from the uh, subsequent <gasps> version. So it's if you watch Avatar uh, on your TV it now, out? it's not in there anymore. Oh, when wow. they re-released really? Avatar in the cinema before you know the Wave of Water came out, it's not in there anymore. But it's how? the deleted sex scene. This is a very in- <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. That's it a actually very interesting really fits thing. your story that like so even in Avatar, which was already not a very horny boing boing movie <laughs> to begin with even the like the smallest tidbit of sex is also removed and from it's it. the least sexy sex and i've never thought about this hugo that this is how they link up to the animals as well so oh, what yeah. does that mean yeah i think that's why they deleted it to be honest it's, an, it's what Probably. they call an all orifice right yeah. like it's all-purpose orifice nice Talking about the 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 sex that you don't see, uh, and it, I I know this is a very problematic one and uh, absolutely a very pretentious one as well. The the sex scene in Ingmar Bergman's Persona. In these words, the leading film critics of Europe have honored Ingmar Bergman's new film, Persona. Persona is a knowledge, a terrible knowledge of our loneliness, our estrangement our inability to reach one another. It is a confession of our fears, of man, of failure, of death. Where uh, she describes her, I think it's a 15 minute scene of her just describing them being on a beach and then meeting guys and then them having sex but it's also a bit rapey because it's not really sure if it's she's not also not really sure if it was consensual but it's still really hot there's there's because you know that you you don't even you see nothing you just hear the description of it it's like the sailor in eyes wide shut which i'm happy that you mentioned which is a film that is 
terrifying for all of its sexual depictions later in the film, but the moment in which Nicole Kidman describes her like potential, uh, you know, infidelity with this sailor guy yeah. that she meets in this hotel, and it's through her description, but also through the slightly or increasingly growing disturbed reaction of Tom Cruise that the f that it gets this scandalous erotic quality because you're hanging on her lips because you want to know every next word just like Tom Cruise because it has such implications yeah. for him and every word has that weight and you feel that when she explains it she explains it with the desire for that moment and maybe yeah. the thing that is underneath all the things that we're now talking about, all the sex scenes, which is actually more important of a question, is how does cinema use desire as a tool? Or how does it depict desire, which is such a strong feeling? Because you can do that without showing the sex. That This we mm. now just established. Um, and I would say that adult cinema has to have an aspect or a component of desire in it not necessarily in every movie but maybe in every movie actually it answers to our gaze and our gaze is always filled with desire it's it constitutes our gaze right so i don't know what you think about that to shift the question a little bit but do we miss that then in contemporary films this aspect of desire that we do see apparently in tv series like normal people maybe i don't know it's a big question man that's what I'm known for. <laughs> <laughs> Man with big questions. The issue is here that, that also relates to what's, what Laura said about big budget cinema and the, the, the way that A24 kind of sort of fits in. The, I mean, A, what A24 does is disturbing cinema. So there, the desire there is also very different. Mm -hmm. If you want to find desire in that kind of way, you're almost looking at minor pictures from, from Europe. Like how to have sex, which is yeah. coming out, or stuff like that. Like, I right, do us a favor and wait to her up. And cheat yours. <sighs> My mum's life. I'm not joking. I just look proper, yeah. <sighs> Where have you been? <laughs> Which is also about problematic forms of sex. Bad sexual experiences. About yeah, exactly. So it's where where do we find that? Because this is also this is also relating to the death of the twenty million dollar movie. There is yeah. no there is no need anymore, except for sometimes on Netflix, for a film that is not starring Brie Larson uh, <laughs> being uh, a superhero. Or I have the feeling that that form a film is almost not made where that could fit in in mm. a more semi-mainstream way yeah, and i think maybe to make it more complicated but also more concrete i think this because your cold open also raises these notions you know about the female gaze and we have uh, i think a much stronger awareness of what the implications are of a certain gaze of desire yeah. in film because it reinforces a certain history and pattern of violence which is also a mm. thing that i think everybody or most people hopefully are more aware of the thing that we should get rid of yeah but then it's very convenient to also basically dehumanize the entire gaze to the point that there's no desire so you also yeah. can't fuck it up anymore right yeah. yeah but that's what that's what big budget movies do they completely yeah, they just completely get rid of yeah, it just as to not do anything wrong and it's almost understandable and I'm very happy that with the Me Too movement we've made so much progress on what's okay on a movie set obviously the mm -hmm. whole Harvey Weinstein thing was a big lesson for everyone and I'm really happy let's put that to the front that that's something yeah. that I'm very very Me happy too. with yeah. Me too um, <laughs> hey. but I do think now people are just so it's just this become this tainted thing where I feel like especially a lot of male directors because obviously Emerald Fennell just did this movie but uh, a lot of male directors are scared to touch it because you have to have intimacy coordinators. You have to m make sure that everyone's comfortable at all times, that no one can say they were ever uncomfortable because it could, it could cost you your head mm -hmm. in this, in this industry. Mm. 
So I yeah. think that's also a very interesting point of like, has this declined so much more post, what is it, 2016, uh, to an extent where most people just don't even want to touch it anymore? So you have this vacuum basically, and that opens up a couple of possibilities. Either it's this answer to it with an extreme form of sincerity, which is maybe what normal people does, or it is with an extreme form of like, um, we're not even going there, just kind of like dodging the entire situation, which is what the entire Marvel like films basically constitute. Or it's with a strangely kind of like contrarian, uh, you know, opposite kind of direction, which is uh, what a series like The Idol does, where yeah. they really kind of Ugh. like... Yeah, I know, but it's kind of like this, 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 like we're the bad kids in the class, you yes. know, kind of yeah. attitude. Sam Levinson is very good at being the bad kid in the class <laughs> when he's just like, I'm gonna do this gross thing with teenagers. Yeah. I would argue that there's a fourth one mm -hmm. because I feel like most films and series that I've seen that have been about sex in a way are about the Me Too movement mm -hmm. and sexual harassment, mm -hmm. so that you also even further sort of corrupt this desire. Yeah. And create this feeling that yeah. sex is always accompanied with si uh, with violence, and yeah. we need to just not have sex anymore. To and kind of isn't it funny then that like what you said about a twenty four that like basically every depiction that you do get of like a sex scene is always disturbed. Yeah, you know it always mo wants to freak you out as if it something bad is happening. Yeah, um, and to an extent, even Saltburn does that. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I remember like one of my other other favorite you know, erotic movies is Lost Highway by David Lynch. We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. At your house, don't you remember? No, I don't. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. That's crazy, man. Call me. Which has the most disturbing fucking sex scenes in it, but they're really, really hot for a specific moment. And then, well, it's mostly about a guy that can't have sex with his wife. Yeah, well, and then, like, no, but they're hot. And that's hot to me. For one second, they're like very hot, and then you know, the the I guess reality kicks in through these nightmarish things, and then it's suddenly very off-putting. But yeah, um, I I don't know this film. Can you please explain yeah, it? Yeah, well, a bit I more? think Tom gave the perfect one-sentence <laughs> synopsis. It's this kind of insane psychodrama where a guy has a lot of sexual insecurity about his wife who he can't please anymore and it basically uh enables or it kind of like becomes part of a time loop with a warped identity uh he switches kind of identities and then it becomes like it's it is david lane so it has all of these kind of like dream logic structures but at the heart of it is a lot of insecurity that um, have to do with pleasing beautiful Patricia Arquette. <laughs> and what is it about that one second that's very arousing? Because David Lynch is a sensualist. He knows how to paint a picture with the camera and he knows how bodies can move on the camera in a way that makes it look very beautiful. He's, in, in, in essence, he's the master of desire yeah. and the desires that you don't want or need yeah. in your life, but then... It's frost. like, so it's kind of like he captures, yeah, this Freudian, like the nightmare aspect of it, but also the power of it. So it's alluring to the point where it's so strong that it totally overwhelms Yikes, you. Yeah. Mm. Did anybody see Disobedience? No. Anit, <laughs> we weren't expecting you. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. My father just died. So you came to on the run? Why else would I be here? Hello, Esty. Your wife? She won't be distracted by Ronnie's return? We all have forgiven you, Ronnie. What for, Firma? For everything. We never thought we'd see you again. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> and you're not married. It's important that this week is conducted with honor. It's the most important thing. Honor. The movie with Rachel McAdams and Rachel yeah, Weisz spitting one. in each other's mouths yeah, for the one. longest of time. That's a that's a pretty <laughs> good film. That's a pretty yeah. 
Tell us more. It's about uh, two women who uh, uh, can't connect because one is... Uh, oh, I've seen it for such a long time. I saw it. It was directed by the guy who made uh, um, Una Mujer Fantastica. Oh, yeah. The Spanish Sebastian director. Sebastian Lelo. Lelo. Yeah, exactly. But she's a Orthodox Jew, so she can't connect to... Well, she can't have a lesbian relationship with another woman. And there's a scene where they finally have sex... And it's super intense and super horny. I was looking at my list here. Of course, I have a list of sexy movies. And I thought, like, yeah, this nobody actually talks about that film. <laughs> this doesn't happen often that nobody has seen a film. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen it. Oh, oh you go <laughs> see uh, it. Um, of course. But it actually was a, opens a question that I wanted to ask you guys. Did doesn't because basically we've also seen kind of like the death of the maybe the traditional depiction of the heterosexual sex. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that has opened up the possibilities also in films and in TV series to show non-cis, non-hetero types of sex in a more interesting manner than that they have been done cinematically before? Uh, because disobedience is only one yeah. of many. Like now, Portrait of a lady on fire. I'm L'homme intéressé par ma fille est Milanais. Nous partons là-bas, s'il le portrait lui plaît. Il a épuisé déjà un peintre avant vous. Que s'est-il passé Je ne sais pas. Elle vous attend. One hundred percent. Right. Yes, that's a really good example. That's yeah. such a hot movie. It's also more about desire than about sex. Like mm. just the way that she looks at her, and even like in that final scene, she's just like looking at her, and that has such a. This, it's so highly charged. Of like, oh my god, it's so. Well, hot. yeah, that that, in, that entire movie is about well, that entire movie gaze. is about desire yeah. and the gaze, and yeah. I think not the gaze, but the the, the gaze, yeah. but also the gaze. Okay, <laughs> you can do your Jennifer Coolidge impersonation whenever you want. Okay, yeah. Please, these gays, they're trying to murder me. Oh, you do these a good guys. one. Yeah, she They're does trying very... to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> These are some high-end gays. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's a, a, ver a very uh, great example of, of queerness in uh, sex scenes, which before wasn't done before. Then obviously we had Brokeback Mountain, we had Blue is the Warmest Color, we had all of these movies that showed it, but it's very sporadically. But again, I feel like TV is taking the lead in this again with uh, shows like Sex Education, obviously focuses a lot on queer sex and relationships. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm interested in knowing. Underneath this, of course, is a very interesting... Yeah. Uh, uh, it's maybe even more than just the Me Too movement. There is a movement in society where we're, we're clearly working through something. So we're now at the point that queer sex in cinema is almost more done more justice and more rightful, rightfully so, because we haven't seen it done properly for years. As a society, at some point, need to move towards a point where we can also have good cis sex again. Straight uh, race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As a society, we need to go back to good straight sex. No, no, we don't. No, not back to straight sex. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. But like, there's. It's it's interesting that uh, also what you said about if you if you're a male director now and you make a, a full on classic twenty million dollar movie mm -hmm. of a, a very white couple having sex, you're not even gonna get any financing for that. I don't know. It's a it's an interesting. People always say that we're too that we're moving towards an era of puritanical yeah. exactly, yeah. which is bullshit because at the same time we're we're shining a light on innovations like intimacy coaches and moving towards a better way of doing it, but mm -hmm. also not doing everything at the same time. I'm not sure how no, but it's, to phrase this. I think we discussed many of these themes with the Barbie episode as well that, and like Lara rightfully says, so much of it seems to be an economic uh, thing that, okay, so the multiplex is apparently not mm -hmm. a space in which currently we really see desire projected in a way. So you need alternative 
venues basically to do that and that is at this point it's tv series it's mm -hmm. art house movies it's smaller shorter films that play on festivals and stuff there's plenty of you know erotic stuff and stuff filled with desire to pass around but then the question is how does a larger audience see it like mm -hmm. how does that go over mm -hmm. in a crossover kind of like mm -hmm. success or is it just a thing that is mostly relegated to our own home because that's where we feel supposedly safe mm -hmm. to watch it isn't it also kind of a shame that the sexier stuff or the more interesting stuff when it comes to sex and desire is on tv because i believe that a communal experience is actually much more valuable, just like a comedy or Are a horror movie. Are you suggesting an orgy? <laughs> <laughs> I am a proponent of the uh, the, of c the communal experience of cinema. And, uh, you know, I actually also, like, I've had a couple of experiences of, you know, seeing uh, classic porn films in a theater, mm. in like a sold-out screening of a porn film, and it's great. <laughs> I can Sounds fun. I can recommend it to everybody because it's it's actually fun. Just like it's fun to watch a horror movie with an entire group of people, much more fun than watching it at home. <laughs> You're equating a horror film to a porn movie is like what? <laughs> no, Depends I know on what you outlook. mean. I know what you mean. You know, many people always say that porn movies are like the sexy equivalent of a musical, mm. which is kind of true. You know, <laughs> you kind of have okay. like, oh, the pizza is delivered, and then you fuck or it's like, or you burst into song, and we burst mm. into a song, right? Yeah. I think I agree with you because if you have all these kind of sexy scenes in TV series, mostly you still TV series, you usually watch from the safe place of your own home, which makes you still feel like you're kind of hiding away this desire. Mm -hmm. You need to do that in your own with no one else present because, you know, so I, f I feel like I really, really thought long and hard about the question Not if a euphemism <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. if sex scenes are still important because i've been in this group of like gen zers that have been shocked by sex in films mm -hmm. and i was like but why are sex scenes important and i think they are and especially in a communal experience because then it's normalized it's mm -hmm. normalized that you're experiencing this with all these people around you who have also seen and done this probably, and it's just a part of life. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that you say communal experience because I do think culture is changing. We all see that like people go to the cinema less in general than they used to 20 years ago. Uh, I'm still here five times a week, so mm -hmm. not Good me. Job. But uh, <laughs> We're keeping this place together. Yeah. But isn't television <laughs> the new communal experience? Everybody watched Game of Thrones. Everybody's been watching mm -hmm. all of these shows that are so popular that maybe that becomes a new communal experience that you can talk on whatever platform you prefer or at the coffee machine at work. It's like, did you see this? But then you're not going to talk about these yeah. experiences, but we're all going through it together. Well, it's funny because like a film like Saltburn, you know, I'm like permanently online on Twitter and I haven't seen Saltburn, but through kind of like a cultural osmosis. Oh, it's you've like seen I've, it. I've yeah, seen yeah, Saltburn yeah. yes. because it's like the gum <laughs> dripping from the bath and- uh, Apart from those like shocking things that everyone talks about, there's really not much to be seen. <laughs> so uh, it's not that deep. But, that's yeah, so, no. but it's interesting because it's true, it's communal, but it's like, and then I become like an essentialist, but it is immediately mediated through a take or yes. a fan cam or an edit or mm. a thing. Whereas yeah. just having to sit with it and having no choice. And this is, I think, the violence that people are talking about when they are enthrusted by the sex in Oppenheimer is mm -hmm. that they believe that they have no choice, which to me always in the cinema is ridiculous if you're offended the door is right there, but yeah. then have, you know, the guts to walk away. But it's like, I don't know, I, do, I don't get it, but apparently for a lot of people, this is a skill or like maybe kind of like a muscle. You kind of have to grow that and to be comfortable with discomfort in the movies. Mm. Yeah, because I can't even remember the last time I went to the movies and saw like a sexy sex scene that was like hot and nice and all of us sitting together and being like, Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, for example, I, I brought up um, a dream scenario, the Nicolas Cage film. And I think that was the last time I saw a communal sex scene. And that sense was a sold out room here at lab. And you could just feel the air getting sucked out of the mm. room because everyone was just like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> and I think there's so much value in, in that experience totally. when mm -hmm. it comes to cringe or when it comes to horror or all these things. And I think the mm -hmm. and 
arguably also horniness. You know, also you for can, horniness. If you can yes. do that, you're a good director. <laughs> it's like it's pretty 100%. cool. One hundred percent. So we should we should make a big plea to have like to bring it back, but in a respectable and responsible manner, but also artistic, but also fun, but it also has to be about something. <laughs> but it has to be good and it yeah. has to be <laughs> And the actors have to be hot, but they don't need to be like CGI hot and, you know, but we'll, well get there. Well, for you, you want to have that scene in Avatar reinstated. Yeah, you know? and bring back the, the all-purpose oral <laughs> <laughs> in Avatar. You know, if we're talking about Avatar, I'm just going to bring up the other one as well. It's funny that you didn't mention Miami Vice because it has one of the funniest sex scenes ever. So there, Jamie Foxx is having sex with his wife and it's this horrible music underneath. Yeah, yeah like, the music is very bad. And then, and then he comes and, she's like, and she looks at him and goes like, what? You came? And he, yeah, and he says so like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. And then, <laughs> they have, and then they continue having sex. And it's a wonder. It's like, it's like three minutes. It's like Psych. wonderful. It's like, it's so good. Ah, Sure. All right. And they continue on fucking. So, yeah. Thanks, Tom, for that. Thing. No, I just wanted to mention that. Sure. I'm, I'm very happy that, like, I conditioned Tom so well that I don't even have to mention. You're my the Miami Vice guy. <laughs> Want to hear more of our thoughts on desire? You can listen back to one of our very first episodes titled On Female Desire and Balancing the Gaze with special guest Bashabur. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on and share so more people can find us. Make sure to subscribe and stay up to date with all new releases. If you want to join the conversation, feel free to send any questions at celebratingcinema at lab111.nl and follow us at lab111 on Instagram. As always, we provide show notes, including all films mentioned at celebratingcinema.com. This was a Lab 111 production, edited and produced by Elliot Bloom, with music from Hugo Emmerzaal and artwork by Studio FFF.